Well, we took a break from our psalm series last week for Pentecost Sunday. And so we are uh, gradually getting back into the swing of our summer in the psalms. We are at Psalm 87. It can be found in the Old Testament in page 494 of our Pew Bibles. Um, there's this very precarious moment uh, when a preacher is about to preach when he's tempted to say that this text is completely unique and it's the most important text you're ever going to hear. Um, that's not entirely true, but this text is unique in the Old Testament. And it's unique in that it portrays the inclusion of the Gentiles, even Israel's enemies, in the household of God and in God's plan of salvation in a way unlike any other text. It doesn't say that they come by repentance or that they come by pilgrimage, but it says that Israel's sworn enemies were actually natural-born citizens of Zion. And that's a bit of a a conundrum, how we can uh, wrap our heads around uh, that contradiction in terms, how someone can be both a foreigner and a natural-born citizen at the same time. So that's the, the challenge set to us this day. As we read now Psalm 87, a psalm of the sons of Korah, a song. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things in you are spoken, O city of God. Salah. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion it shall be said, This one, that one, were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the peoples. This one was born there. Salah. Singers and dancers alike say, All my springs are in you. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Join me now in our prayer for illumination. Our Father, we have heard wonderful things out of thy word. We praise you for revealing Christ by promise and shadow in these pages. Help us to understand these words for thy name's sake. Amen. reading of the New Testament, please turn with me to Galatians 4, verses 21 through 31, found on page 974 in your pew Bibles. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She she corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. 
But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit but the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. This is the reading of the New Testament. Uh, please join me for the prayer of understand, understanding found in your bulletins. Our Father, we have heard wonderful things out of thy word. We praise you for revealing Christ as the fulfillment of the Old Testament and ask you to give us your spirit so that we may understand the fullness of your truth. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I've included in our um, outline in the bulletin um, a sort of graphical representation of verses uh, 3 to 7 of our psalm to help illustrate some our ideas. So even if you're not normally a person that follows along in the outline, uh, that might be of some assistance to you. Our title today is Jerusalem Above is Our Mother. In the Greek version of the psalm we read today, the Greek version of Psalm 87 verse 5, uh, with which the Apostle Paul was most certainly familiar, reads, uh, Mother Zion will a man say, because a man was born in her and the Most High himself founded her. The Greek has Mother Zion. And so when Paul tells us that Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother, he undoubtedly has this psalm as well as Isaiah 54, which he quotes there in mind. Well, what's going on in uh, Psalm 87? There are three sort of themes that the poet beats us over the head with. Zion, birth, and the nations. The nations outside of Israel. Um, so we're coming up on the 4th of July holiday. Just last weekend, my family went to uh, this event out at Wolf Trap, this concert uh, that's the president's own marine band, and they play all this patriotic music, you know, and it's a very stirring event. And so in the spirit of patriotism, imagine you're going to a 4th of July parade and some, someone says, I've just composed a new patriotic song. Let me sing this new American patriotic song. And it's about how Russia and China are the greatest Americans. Or maybe in the 1940s, someone said, let's, let's celebrate how, how the Japanese and Germans are really the greatest American citizens. It would be a little discordant, wouldn't it? It's strange when this psalm was sung in Jerusalem. Not sure when it was written, we don't know the date, but like, maybe it was before Jerusalem fell, maybe it was after, maybe it was after the return from exile. Probably, indeed, as Psalm 88 and 89 will suggest. Why are we celebrating Babylon, who just destroyed Jerusalem and despoiled the temple? So these three themes come together, Zion, birth, and Israel's enemies, or the nations. And they're combined. It seems as though the nations, Israel's greatest enemies, are portrayed as natural-born citizens of Zion. 
A contradiction in terms. And the mashing together of these themes in this particular psalm is very dense. It's very compact. The language here is quite difficult. You can read ten commentaries on the psalm and get ten different stories, really. But this is what makes poetry poetry. Poetry forces you to slow down and listen and reflect on the import and impact of each and every word. Dense words, densely constructed. Let me give you an example right out of the gate. Um, you see there in verse 1. Verse 1 actually includes the title. The title is that part in your Bible that's in small caps. A Psalm of the Sons of Korah. So the whole of verse 1 reads, A Psalm of the Sons of Korah, a song on the mount stands the city he founded. That's verse 1. And a translator, an interpreter, has decided that the first part of that is a title. And the second part consisting of three words. On the holy mountain founded by him city. Is a separate verse. On the holy mountain founded by him city. What does that mean? And so to decide that the poem starts somewhere here in the middle of verse 1 is is a matter of interpretation. It's a matter of translation. And this psalm is full of riddles like that. Now, I'm not here to complicate your life and make this psalm more obscure than it is, which is why um, in the bulletin, I've outlined verses 3 to 7. I've often given the example that the central theme of a psalm is provided for us in the central verse. So it's like a target with concentric circles, and the bullseye is the theme verse. And so we see that structure here in Psalm 87. What's a little bit different is verses 1 and 2 are like a heading. They provide the topic. And then the concentric um, structure is verses 3 to 7. So we see that in verse 3 and 7, we see the same phrase, in you, in you. I changed the translation slightly there in verse 3. Glorious things in you are spoken, O city of God, because I believe it's in parallel with all my springs are in you. And then we have the two selahs, which is like a pause, a breath. And then in verse 4 and 6, both verses have the same exact expression, born there. In you, born there. And we're narrowing in to the target and the goal, which is verse 5. And of Zion it shall be said, This one and that one were born in her, for the Most High Himself will establish her. Notice that all of this poetic structuring, as you meditate and recite over and over, memorize this poem, focuses you in on Zion. On Zion as a place of God's care and concern and love. As a place where people dwell, where people are born, where people call home. All of these structuring devices focus that Zion is a city founded by God. It's on a holy mountain and the Lord loves it more than all other dwelling places. And I want to... Step back a little bit and give you a little bit of context. In, in Deuteronomy, so back in the, in the Exodus, Moses is preaching Deuteronomy as a sermon before he's about to die and the people are going to enter the Holy Land. And in Deuteronomy 12, Moses instructs the people that God will show them a particular place where they are to worship Him. This tabernacle that has traveled with the people when the tribes get into the nation and all settle in their own lands... Moses says, You shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put His name 
That's his presence. That's the gospel. Remember the Lord, the Lord, gracious, merciful, kind, loving. To put his name and to make his habitation. There you shall go. There you shall eat before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice. Singers and dancers alike all say, all our springs are in you. And again, later in verse 12, chapter 12. Then to the place the Lord your God will choose. At that place, there you shall offer your burnt offerings. And you may not eat in your hometown those sacrifices, but you must go to that place. You shall eat them before the Lord your God in the place that He will choose. This is what the psalmist is telling us in the heading of this psalm in verse 2 when he says, The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. God has chosen a place. Now the reason for this instruction in Deuteronomy is the people were coming into uh, this land of great idolatry was that there was no greater temptation among the Israelites than to violate the first commandment, to violate the first table of commandments, to worship all the gods that abounded. There were household gods, there were city gods, there were regional gods. There was like a bureaucracy of gods. There were so many levels of gods. And the temptation is to make God in our own image, right? Every nation had their chief God. And even in Israel's history, when you look and read the Old Testament carefully, there were a lot of places where God appeared, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they raised altars in different places. And those places were holy to God's people. They still are revered in the Holy Land. There are many dwelling places of Jacob where God appeared to him. But something new was going on. In Deuteronomy. And God set his place on Israel, on Jerusalem. This behind this is the idea that's becoming increasingly clear as Scripture has revealed that, that we are to worship God as He instructs us, not as we desire. This is the idea in our Reformed tradition known as the regulative principle in the second commandment. You don't make your own uh, image of God. God can't be imaged. He is giving you His promises, His Word. You shall worship where and how He chooses, not how you choose. And this is the same issue that's burning at the heart of much conflict in the Holy Land when Jesus comes along and meets the Samaritan woman at the well. What does she ask Him? Remember, after uh, she discerns that He's a prophet. What does she ask Him? Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain in Samaria, in the north. This is the divided kingdom. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. They weren't even supposed to be talking. A Jewish man, a Judean, or one who worshipped in Jerusalem and one with a Samaritan. And Jesus said to her, Women, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. Salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. So Jesus, Jesus doesn't abandon the truth of Zion, right? He says, this is the place God revealed Mount Zion. So the Samaritans were wrong. But at the same moment, he refers back to what he told Nicodemus just in the last chapter. Truly, truly, I say to you, 
Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That translation could also be, unless one is born from above. What does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to be born from above? Nicodemus asks, what, am I supposed to enter back into my mom's womb and be born again? What are you talking about? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here to the second point. But you see, the place of Zion mattered. God founded Zion. God loved Zion. Zion is on a holy mountain. And the ancient world was full of holy mountains. It was a core mythology that there was a mount, you know, for the Greeks. Olympus, where Zeus dwelt, right? There was a mountain, Mount Hermon, far north. Much taller, by the way, than Jerusalem. Than Zion. But this mountain is holy because it's the place God has chosen. It is God's election, His choice, His dwelling place on earth. Psalm 87 is not alone in the Hebrew Bible. And we're singing and reading many other of these songs of Zion. It's one of the themes of the Psalter. Psalm 46, a mighty fortress is our God. Psalm 48, we're going to sing it today. Psalm 76, Psalm 84, Psalm 122, 132. The big picture is that God chose a particular place to reveal himself, to dwell a particular way to be worshipped. And that brings us to our second point. To enter the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. You have to be born in Zion. Verse 3 opens the body of our poem by announcing glorious things that will be spoken. Glorious things link Psalm 87 to our psalm two weeks ago, Psalm 86, where we read that all the nations that you have made shall come and worship you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. I will glorify your name. Psalm 86 says, the nations will come and bring God glory. And Psalm 87 says, glorious things are here now in this city being said. There's a lot of talk in our psalm. Things are spoken, spoken, things are mentioned, things are said. There are these quotations. It's all full of dialogue. A lot of talk about talk. And verse 4 shifts to the first person. Always ask yourself, who's speaking? Among those who I know, those things who know me, rather, I mentioned Rahab and Babylon. Who's talking? This one was born there, they say. Someone's speaking. In verse 5, the speech continues. And of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High Himself will establish her. Finally, in verse 6, the mystery speaker is revealed. The Lord records as He registers the people. That could be uh, translated, the Lord recites. The Lord is numbering. The Lord is counting. This one was born in her. It turns out that the glorious things that are being spoken in Zion are birth certificates. He's a census taker. God is speaking. God is the speaker of our psalm, Yahweh. And the language here is reminiscent of what we find in the return from exile in Nehemiah and Ezra. Remember, Nehemiah was in exile. He was the cupbearer to the king. And he was downcast because he heard about how Jerusalem was destroyed and in ruins. 
And the king said, why are you sad? And he said, my people, my homeland is in, in, in ruins. And he is sent back by the king. He's given uh, supplies and materials. And when he gets back, one of the things that we see in Nehemiah and also in Ezra is a, a reading, a recounting of everyone who is truly an Israelite. So we can find out who the Levites are so they can serve and worship in the temple as it seeks to be rebuilt. And so there's a lot of like the book of Numbers listing of tribes and people in Nehemiah. And in verse 64, chapter 7, we find this. The same language of our psalm. The following were those who came up from Tel Milan, Tel Harsha, Cherub, Aldan, and Emer. But they could not prove their father's houses nor their descent. They could not prove whether they belonged to Israel. So some people came back with the exiles, and they're looking through the records, and they sought, this is verse... uh, 64, they sought their registration among those enrolled in the genealogies, but it was not found there. So they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor told them that they were not to partake of the most holy food until the priest with Urim and Thummim should arise. The Urim and the Thummim would give the priest the ability to speak prophetically the words of God to name them. To recite them, to number them among the true sons of Israel, the Levites. Psalm 87 tells us that this uh, genealogy, this register is being read in the city. People's names are being read. This is the glorious weighty thing that is being said in the city of Zion. The Lord himself is numbering, counting the names as he records them in a book of genealogy. Sounds really awfully boring, like what a snooze fest, right? But if you're one of those men who came from this city and you were excluded from participating in the holy things of God, it was keeping you on the edge of your seat. The Word of God is living and active. The Word of God is being spoken. A word of confirmation. A word of membership. It's making citizens in God's city. And in this psalm, it's making strangers and foreigners residents Heavenly citizens. And it is the Lord Himself as the heavenly clerk who is writing our names down in this book. This is a glory, glorious and weighty recounting. Blessed are those who dwell in His house. Psalm 84, last summer, a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. And there's a sign discovered in the first century in that temple where there's a court of the Gentiles. They are excluded. But only those whose names are recorded can enter in. The New Testament as well knows a book with names written in it, right? On 3,000, on Pentecost rather, last week, we talked about the fact that 3,000 were added to the number In Hebrews chapter 12, similar language is used about the assembly of the firstborn, those whose names are enrolled in heaven. And in the book of Revelation, on many occasions, John refers to the book of life. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. These names... He tells us were written before the foundation of the world in the book of life. 
Nothing unclean will ever enter into it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. But there's two sets of books in Revelation. In Revelation chapter 20, when you get to the day of judgment, John writes, I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. You see there are two sets of books. Double bookkeeping here. (laughs) And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. The dead are judged according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead. And death and Hades gave up the dead. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. What was written in the books. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life... He went with the dead into the lake of fire. Do you see, the names who are written in the book of life aren't judged according to their deeds written in the other set of books. We're citizens of God's heavenly city. We are in the VIP list, as it were. You will not be judged according to all your deeds. If you're in the Lamb's book, you're spared from this judgment by the blood of the Lamb. What a glorious thing to hear your name written in the blood of the Lamb, written in the book of life. Well, this brings me to my third point in the outline. And I want to come back and dwell a little bit about all these nations who are born in Zion. So Zion is a central theme and birth and the birth records being read is a central theme. But why? I want to return to who is born in Zion in this list of foreigners and enemies. Because to to recite this list of foreigners is to understand what it means, what it means to be born in Zion. To understand who is born in Zion teaches us what it is to be born in Zion. And God's enemies are celebrated as his own children. Among those who know me, I mentioned Rahab and Babylon, Philistia, Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. Zion is praised as the one who gives birth to this international assembly. And of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her, for the Most High Himself establishes her. God creates Zion. God determines citizenship in Zion. And the word Most High that is used here is a word, Elyon, a title for gods that would have been used by these neighboring nations. Every nation had its pantheon of gods and they all had their most high God. And it was common for them to call them El Yom. So our psalmist is using a word that they would have recognized as a most high God. And yet he says in the very next word in the psalm, Yahweh, the Lord, records. The Lord is reading out the names. The most high is the Lord. Yahweh is the most high, the one true God. And this is why I inserted in brackets that we are not only born in Zion, but we are born again in Zion. And that to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. You must be born in Zion. Well, how, O teacher, Nicodemus says, how do I crawl back into my mother's womb? And here we see the silver lining of Israel's exile as they were scattered to Babylon and Assyria and Egypt and all these other places. They became witnesses of Yahweh. Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel, Esther's God. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God is now known to all the world to be the Most High God, the one who creates a new people. Isaiah, Isaiah sees this day when foreigners will make a pilgrimage to Zion and worship there. And he even identifies them as God's children in Isaiah 60. Nations shall come to your light. Your sons shall come from afar. Your daughters shall be carried on the hip. All the nations of the world will be sons and daughters of God Most High. And in that day, Isaiah 19, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, when the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Isaiah is seeing the future when all the nations will come. And he says, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Don't let the the converts think that they're going to be separated out into a separate class. Let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. Again, notice he's unable to give birth, right? For thus said the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me, And hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than the name of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Notice that Isaiah is saying, some of these foreigners will keep my Sabbaths. Some of them will follow my law. But... Psalm 87 holds forth the promise of being woven into, grafted into the tree of God's life by faith alone. And that's why Paul can say in Galatians 4, the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through a promise. It is nothing that the Gentiles do, that we do, that sinners do, that allows us to be included in God's holy heavenly kingdom. Paul says there's an allegory here. There's a covenant of works. That's slavery through Hagar. Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and she corresponds to the present Jerusalem. She's in slavery. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is her mother. We've all been born from above by God's Holy Spirit. It is the powerful word of the Lord. It is His gospel word and promise proclaimed to us that gives us our heavenly citizenship. The new birth of the Spirit is wrought by the promise, not by the way of the law. Ephesians 2 talks about how foreigners are made one with God's people. He made us one and He broke down in the flesh the the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law. He killed hostility. Romans 8, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For those who are born, for all who are led by the Spirit of God, are sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ. Brothers and sisters, because Jesus was born of a woman and born under the law and fulfilled the law for us, we are all born again 
into his house. Paul often uses this language of adoption, but Psalm 87 is saying more than adoption. He's saying that's our real mother. That's our real birth. At the heart of Psalm 87 is the new birth. It's a snapshot, a preview of coming attractions, of the New Testament hope of glory. It's a reminder that God alone has established the city. And John Calvin draws our attention to this closing verse, which can be forgotten in the midst of this. And it's, again, very cryptic and short. But singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. For God's people in the wilderness, in the barren, dry, arid climate of Zion, a spring was an oasis. It was a source of life and water. Our heavenly Zion is our home, and it is a place filled with singing. It is a place filled with joy. It is a place where we find our life and filled with worship. These are among glorious things that are spoken in her. Let's pray. Lord, we know that we come into your dwelling place, into your house, as doorkeepers, as servants, because you have called us by name. That you have sent forth your spirit into our hearts. And we pray that we could sing now these words with joy and rejoice in our hearts and know that all our life is in you and comes from you. Send forth that living water down now from on high to give us life, to renew us, and to send us forth from this place singing your praise. Amen.